United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. Aaron Howard. Petitioners. Versus Case Number 22-1010. United States Drug Enforcement Administration. Respondents. Dash 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 x. Statement of Issues to be Raised. Pursuant to the Court's Order of January 22, 2022, and D.C. Circuit Rule 28A, 1. Petitioners Aaron Howard Pro Se in Case Number 22-1010 hereby submits these Statement of Issues to be Raised. The Controlled Substances Act, CSA, and its implementing regulations established a closed system of distribution to ensure appropriate medical care and to maintain the integrity of the system through an accountability process. One of the most important principles underlying the CSA and its implementing regulations is that to be valid, every prescription for a controlled substance must be based on a determination by an individual practitioner, that the dispensing of the controlled substance is for a legitimate medical purpose in the usual course of professional practice. United States v. Moore, 423 U. SC 122, 1975, and 21 CFR 1306.04 A. Federal regulations do not define the term legitimate medical purpose nor do they set forth the standards of medical practice. It is up to each DEA registered practitioner authorized by DEA to do so, to treat patients according to his or her professional medical judgment in accordance with a standard of medical practice that is generally recognized and accepted in the United States. DEA has not promulgated any new regulations regarding the treatment of pain. Federal law and DEA regulations do not impose a specific quantitative minimum or maximum limit on the amount of medication that a practitioner may prescribe on a single prescription, or the duration of treatment intended for a particular patient. Nelson Mandela A. Reflecting the Distinct Roles of Prescribers and Pharmacists, Section 1306.04 imposes liability only on pharmacists who knowingly fill an illegitimate prescription. Although Section 1306.04 regulates both prescribers and pharmacists, the two roles are far from interchangeable, including for purposes of determining potential liability. With different licenses, education, skill sets, responsibilities, and workplaces from physicians, pharmacists play a vital but distinct role in a patient's care. See Amicus Curie Brief National Association Chain Drug Stores, U.S. Supreme Court Case No. 20-1410, Ruan v. United States of America. Specifically, when dispensing a controlled substance to a patient, as prescribed by a physician, a pharmacist relies on the physician's assessment of the patient's needs. The pharmacist has neither examined nor diagnosed the patient and lacks the information the physician has collected on the patient's medical situation, records, and history, including such things as x-rays, ultrasounds, lab results, and treatment plans. The CSA recognizes pharmacists' circumscribed role in dispensing controlled substances. It provides that pharmacists may not dispense Schedule II controlled substances without the written prescription of a practitioner, 21 U.S.C. Section 829A, and that they risk criminal and civil liability if they do, see it. Sections 841A, C. 842. The CSA's implementing regulations further explain that a prescription for a controlled substance must be issued for a legitimate medical purpose by an individual practitioner acting in the usual course of his professional practice. 21 CFR Section 1306.04a. The regulations separately provide that such a prescription may only be filled by a pharmacist, 
acting in the usual course of his professional practice, and either registered individually or employed by a registered entity. 21 CFR Section 1306.06 Consistent with the division of responsibility between prescribers and pharmacists, Section 1306.04 limits when pharmacists may be held liable for filling controlled substance prescriptions to situations where a pharmacist knows a prescription is illegitimate. The responsibility for the proper prescribing and dispensing of controlled substances is upon the prescribing practitioner, but a corresponding responsibility rests with the pharmacist who fills the prescription. An order purporting to be a prescription issued not in the usual course of professional treatment or in legitimate and authorized research is not a prescription within the meaning and intent of Section 309 of the Act, 21 U.S.C., Section 829, and the person knowingly filling such a purported prescription, as well as the person issuing it, shall be subject to the penalties provided for violations of the provisions of law relating to controlled substances. 21 CFR Section 1306.04a, emphasis added. A pharmacist violates this provision only if the pharmacist knowingly fills a purported prescription, i.e., a prescription that was not written, in the usual course of professional treatment. These critical limitations on a pharmacist's possible liability under Section 1306.04 are no accident. They were added to the regulation intentionally to avoid the UN-warranted and counterproductive imposition of liability. When first proposed in 1971, the regulation lacked the word knowingly, which would have allowed penalties for any person filling an illegitimate prescription. Purpose of Issue of Prescription, 36 Fed. Reg. 4847-4948, March 13, 1971. Pharmacists protested such an expansive rule, however, and during the comment period specifically objected to the responsibility placed upon a pharmacist under Section 1306.04 to determine the legitimacy of a prescription. Comments and Objections to Part 306, 36 Fed. Reg. 7776-7777, April 24, 1971. The DEA agreed with these comments and changed the legal standard in the final regulations, noting the language, was, revised to require knowledge. Ron Chapman Esquire B. DEA displays a lack of knowledge of pharmaceutical medical practices. The warrant issued identified items that are evidence of violations of 21 U.S.C. sections 841A, 1, possession with the intent to distribute and distribution of oxycodone and hydromorphone. The intent of this law implies that it shall be unlawful for any person knowingly or intentionally to manufacture, distribute, or dispense, or possess with intent to manufacture, distribute, or dispense, a controlled substance, or to create, distribute, or dispense, or possess with intent to distribute or dispense, a counterfeit substance. The DEA uses the law with intent to imply a licensed pharmacists and medical professionals as persons that illegally distribute, or dispense controlled substances. The DEA has deliberately reinterpreted the law to support their effort to attack pharmacists. In essence, the DEA willfully and knowingly misguided the courts that the petitioner licensed pharmacist was in violations of 21 U.S.C. sections 841A, 1, possession with the intent to distribute and distribution of oxycodone and hydromorphone. The officers should be charged under Giglio. As a licensed pharmacist, 
The petitioner carried out his fiduciary responsibility Aaron Howard was acting in the capacity of a licensed pharmacist. Whereby a pharmacist is a person who is professionally qualified to prepare and dispense the medicinal drug. This definition and is a statute within the Florida Administrative Code and Florida Administrative Register. The officer acted upon an oath to enter the premises to secure evidence of violations of 21 U.S.C. Sections 841A, 1, possession with the intent to distribute and distribution of oxycodone and hydromorphone. The DEA agents removed files with the intent of searching to discover items to suggest a criminal act took place or is taking place. This is not implied within the warrant and the act of looking to find a criminal act is not supported by probable cause. In this and other cases, DEA diversion investigator falsely established diversion based solely on the use of Google's maps and performed absolutely no follow-up investigation as found in Wheatland Pharmacy, 78 FR 69441, 69445, 2013, to establish diversion or evidence that any patients had diverted any prescription medication filled by pharmacists from a cost pharmacy. Similar misconduct by DEA diversion investigation is on the record in investigations of Pronto Pharmacy LLC, Tampa FL, Lincourt Pharmacy LLC, Clearwater Florida, Superior Pharmacy, Tampa, FL, Gulf Med Pharmacy, Cape Coral, Florida. Such acts to search defined without stated cause for the search is an investigative function that violates the premise of a search warrant and violated the basis of probable cause and elements of reasonable suspicion. The search conducted was not specific in nature whereby the agents confiscated items not specific to the warrant. The removal of such documents and items serves no purpose of criminal activity but only to develop a case beyond the scope and statutes of the search. The intent is that a person and not a sold medication and criminalizing the job of a licensed pharmacist. The Fourth Amendment was intended to create a constitutional buffer between U.S. citizens and the intimidating power of law enforcement. The officers failed to indicate within their search warrant the components of what was to be seized. The officers exercised undue discretion when they choose to search and seize. Therefore, the interest of the defendant was violated when the search and seizures became unreasonable and not authorized by the warrant based upon probable cause to remove personal artifacts such as documents of academic research. This binder contained copyrighted academic research. Human Rights See improper dosing for pain management and construction of the CSA that criminalize medical error improperly intrudes on the state's power to regulate the practice of medicine. See brief of Amikai Curie, Professor of Health Law and Policy in support of Petitioner D.R. Shulu Ruan v. United States of America Case No. 20-1410, in the Supreme Court of the United States, 24. Federal law and DEA regulations do not impose a specific quantitative minimum or maximum limit on the amount of medication that a practitioner may prescribe on a single prescription, or the duration of treatment intended for a particular patient. However, as noted from the record both federal and Florida law require a pharmacist to identify and address red flags of drug abuse or diversion including overutilization and underutilization. C21 CFR 1306.04A, 21 CFR 1306.06, Florida Admin. Code. An. R. 64B1627.810. 21 CFR Section 1306.04A, Emphasis Added. A pharmacist violates this provision only if the pharmacist knowingly fills a purported prescription 
i.e., a prescription that was not written, in the usual course of professional treatment. These limitations sensibly reflect the very real constraints on pharmacists presented with prescriptions for controlled substances. To be sure, pharmacists can do things like inspect prescriptions for indicia of facial invalidity to determine if they can be filled, for example, tampering, missing or incorrect information, a forged signature, or a prescribing physician who is not DEA registered. C21 CFR section 1306.05a. When presented with a facially valid prescription, however, a pharmacist cannot be expected to second-guess the prescriber's medical judgment that the prescribed medicine is appropriate, to interrogate the patient re-regarding whether they actually need the prescribed medication, or to obstruct the patient's care by withholding it. The law should not unduly chill a pharmacist's performance of her slashes duties to make medications safely available to patients who need them. The knowledge requirement in section 1306.04 properly reflects this circumscribed role. Any construction of section 841A, 1, that permits the federal government to criminalize good-faith medical errors raises alarming federalism implications. The states that have primary authority to regulate the practice of medicine under their reserved Tenth Amendment police powers. See, for example, Linder v. United States, 268 U.S. 5, 18, 1925. D. Erect control of medical practice in the states is beyond the power of the federal government, Barsky v. B. E. Of Regents, 347 U.S. 442, 449, 1954, the states, broad power to establish and enforce standards of conduct within its borders relative to health, extends naturally to the regulation of all professions concerned with health, Hillsborough CTY. B. Automated Med. Labs. Incorporated, 471 U.S. 707, 719, 1985, the regulation of health and safety is primarily, and historically, a matter of local concern, Rush Prudential HMO Incorporated v. Moran. 536 U.S. 355, 387, 2002, espousing that establishing standards of reasonable medical care is a quintessentially state law function. The preservation of a proper balance between federal and state powers is central to our constitutional design and the protection of fundamental liberties. As this court has explained, this federalist structure of joint sovereigns preserves to the people numerous advantages. It assures a decentralized government that will be more sensitive to the diverse needs of a heterogeneous society, it increases opportunity for citizen involvement in democratic processes, it allows for more innovation and experimentation in government, and it makes government more responsive. Just as the separation and independence of the coordinate branches of the federal government serve to prevent the accumulation of excessive power in any one branch, a healthy balance of power between the states and the federal government will reduce the risk of tyranny and abuse from either front. Gregory V. Ashcroft, 501 U.S. 452, 458, 1991. Consequently, the federal-state balance of power cannot be dramatically reconstrued by either judicial supposition or a federal law enforcement agency's an interpretation of a statute that runs afoul of its plain text. Rager V. Regents of University of Minnesota, 534. U.S. 533, 543, 2002, when Congress intends to alter the usual constitutional balance between the states and the federal government, it must make its intention to do so unmistakably clear in the language of the statute. 
The federal government has no right to interfere with the state's authority to regulate medical practice without a clear indication that Congress intended that result. Solid Waste Agency of Northern Cook County v. United States Corps of Engineers, 531 U.S. 159, 172, 2001, Pegram v. Herdrich, 530 U.S. 211, 237, 2000. I in the field of health care, a subject of traditional state regulation, there is no preemption without clear manifestation of congressional purpose. In cases involving congressional regulation of core state functions, the clear statement canon has been characterized as a super-strong rule of statutory construction that carries weightier force than ordinary preemption. William N. Eskridge Jr. and Philip P. Fricke, Quasi-Constitutional Law, Clear Statement Rules as Constitutional Lawmaking, 45 Van. L. Rev. 593, 623-24, 1992. See also PA. Department of Corps. B. Yeski, 524 U.S. 206, 208 209, 1998. Obsin an unmistakably clear expression of intent, we will interpret a statute to preserve rather than destroy the state's substantial sovereign powers, quotation marks, and citations omitted. The rule of lenity, a time honored interpretive guideline, also applies when courts construe an ambiguous criminal statute. United States v. Kuzminski, 487 U.S. 931, 952, 1988. Under the rule, when choosing between two constructions of a crime, the statute shall be construed in favor of the defendant. United States v. Universal CIT Credit Corporation, 344 U.S. 218, 221 22, 1952. We should not derive criminal outlawry from some ambiguous implication. The relevant provision of the CSA at issue here, however, is unambiguous. CSA Section 841A, 1, cannot be interpreted as criminalizing good-faith medical mistakes under pertinent precedent because the statute lacks any suggestion that Congress intended to delegate to the Department of Justice, DOJ, breathtaking authority over the practice of medicine. Instead, Congress explicitly left to the states the authority to regulate the medical professions. C-21 U.S.C. Section 823-G, 2-H-I, nothing in such regulations or practice guidelines may authorize any federal official or employee to exercise supervision or control over the practice of medicine or the manner in which medical services are provided. This court has long recognized that the state's protection of the health of its citizens is at the core of its police power, Sperhase v. Nebraska X. Rel. Douglas, 458 U.S. 941, 956, 1982, and has expressly rejected the notion that the CSA grants either DOJ or DEA the broad authority to regulate the practice of medicine. Teehee, CSA, and our case law amply support the conclusion that Congress regulates medical practice insofar as it bars doctors from using their prescription writing powers as a means to engage in illicit drug dealing and trafficking as conventionally understood. Beyond this, However, the statute manifests no intent to regulate the practice of medicine generally. The silence is understandable given the structure and limitations of federalism, which allow the states great latitude and dare their police powers to legislate as to the protection of the lives, limbs, health, comfort, and quiet of all persons. Gonzalez, 546 U.S. at 269-70, emphases added. Not only does Congress know how to explicitly delegate the authority to regulate controlled substance prescribing to a federal agency, 
it has done so in one, and only one, narrow category, opioid use disorder, OUD, treatment. ID. At 271, holding that 42 U.S.C. Section 290 BB2A is the only arena in which Congress has set federal medical standards and indicates that when Congress wants to regulate medical practice in the given scheme, it does so by explicit language in the statute. See also Anderson et al. At 98, despite the long-standing norm of federal non-interference in medicine, the federal government can regulate medical practice if it makes its intention to do so clear and unambiguous. And even then, Congress expressly delegated the authority to set federal medical standards regarding OOD treatment to the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, and not a federal law enforcement agency. 42 U.S.C. Section 290 BB2A, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, after consultation with the Attorney General, shall determine the appropriate methods of professional practice in the medical treatment of the narcotic addiction. Federal law enforcement agencies are unqualified to determine whether drugs have a useful and legitimate medical purpose and are necessary to maintain the health and general welfare of the American people. 21 U.S.C. Section 811. Congress, therefore, did not even leave it to DEA to perform one of its core CSA functions, the scheduling of controlled substances, without health care agency oversight and evaluation. See it. Section 811b, the Attorney General shall, before initiating proceedings, to schedule or reschedule a drug, request from the, HHS, Secretary of Scientific and Medical Evaluation, the recommendations of the Secretary to the Attorney General shall be binding, as to such scientific and medical matters. Furthermore, this court has expressly held that DOJ cannot criminally prosecute OOT prescribers under CSA Section 841A, 1, unless they sell drugs, not for legitimate purposes but primarily for the profits to be derived therefrom and are acting outside the usual course of professional practice such that their behavior is akin to that of a large-scale, drug, pusher, not as a physician. More at 345. Congress's refusal to permit a federal agency to regulate the practice of medicine beyond illegal trafficking is further evidenced by the Narcotic Addict Treatment Act, 1974, NATA, which amended the CSA to permit HHS to regulate OO treatment. Not as legislative history demonstrates that the Senate Judiciary Committee carefully weighed the state's long-standing authority to regulate the general practice of medicine against the specialized circumstances within the purview of the bill, for example, OO treatment, which entail inordinate risks of diversion and unethical profiteering. S. Rep. No. 93-192, at 13, 1973. The committee report further explains that the purpose of the NADA amendments was to reaffirm the commitment Congress made to the nation when it passed the CSA by facilitating the prosecution of those who engage in the criminal distribution of legitimate narcotic drugs for profit. Id. At 15. In sum, the CSA permits the federal prosecution of prescribers who operate as drug traffickers as traditionally understood and, thereby, knowingly or intentionally engage in prescribing conduct that exceeds the bounds of professional practice. Congress never intended to delegate to law enforcement the authority to regulate the practice of medicine by criminalizing good-faith medical mistakes. See 21 U.S.C. Section 903. The CSA also depends on state law to determine which medical professionals constitute practitioners acting in the course of professional practice and are, therefore, presumptively eligible for federal controlled substance registration. 21 U.S.C. § 823-F provides that, 
Tihi Attorney General shall register practitioners to dispense controlled substances if the applicant is authorized to dispense controlled substances under the laws of the state in which he practices, emphasis added, id. Section 802.21, defining practitioner to include a physician, licensed by the United States or the jurisdiction in which he practices, to dispense, a controlled substance in the course of professional practice, emphasis added. The CSA further mandates that DOJ defer to state medical licensing authorities before denying, suspending, or revoking a state license prescriber's registration. Id. Section 823F1, explaining that the Attorney General may deny, suspend, or revoke a state license prescriber's registration if doing so is in the public interest, and that the first of the five factors that the Attorney General must consider in making such a determination is, Tihi recommendation of the appropriate state licensing board or professional disciplinary authority. In a 1998 letter to the House Judiciary Committee Chairman, Attorney General Janet Reno explained that the CSA was not intended to displace the states as the primary regulators of the medical profession or to override a state's determination as to what constitutes legitimate medical practice. Oregon v. Ashcroft, 368F.3D1118, 1123, 2004. Higher education for blacks is viewed as arrogance. Consistent with Congress's long-standing policy of leaving the regulation of medical practice to the states was its refusal to enact the Pain Relief Promotion Act, PRPA, which would have made illicit the controlled substances used in physician-assisted suicide and, thus, delegated to the DEA the authority to regulate medicine. Pointing to the DEA's lack of requisite medical and scientific expertise, Congress rejected PRPA. SREP. Number 106-299, at 61, 2000, T. His poorly written, poorly thought out statute would wreak havoc on states' traditional police authority to regulate their own doctors, an authority they have enjoyed for more than 200 years. In our view, the DEA is not qualified to handle investigations into allegation, sick, of the misuse of pain management drugs, emphasis added. Congress has refused to extend the right to interfere with the state's regulation of medical practice even to those federal agencies with significant scientific and medical expertise. The Food, Drug and Cosmetics Act, FDCA, expressly provides that it should not be construed to limit or interfere with the authority of a health care practitioner to prescribe or administer any legally marketed device within a legitimate health care practitioner-patient relationship. 21 U.S.C. Section 396 See also United States v. Regenerative Psi, LLC, 878F SUP. 2D248-255, DDC 2012. This express limitation of the FDCA is of significant practical import. If the FDCA preempted the regulation of medical practice, prescribers would be stripped of their traditional right to prescribe food and drug administration, FDA-approved drugs off-label, that is, for non-approved uses to benefit their patients. The Supreme Court has expressly endorsed the off-label practice of medicine. Buckman Company v. Plaintiffs Legal Com, 531 U.S. 341, 350, 2001, off-label uses an accepted and necessary corollary of the FDA's mission to regulate in this area without directly interfering with the practice of medicine. The United States Congress has taken precisely the same view. In general, the FDA has no authority to regulate how physicians prescribe approved drugs in the context of their medical practice. 
Physicians prescribing off-label uses of approved drugs is not within the jurisdiction of the FDA. HR Rep. Number 105-310, at 60, 1997. The Social Security Amendments of 1954 also make clear federal non-interference with the state's health-related police powers, providing that, and the othing in this title shall be construed as authorizing the Commissioner of Social Security, to interfere in any way with the practice of medicine. 42 U.S.C. Section 416. The Federal Medicare Statute, the Fertility Success Rate and Certification Act of 1992, and the Drug Addiction Treatment Act of 2000 each included similar expansive and express prohibitions on federal interference with the practice of medicine. 42 U.S.C. Section 1395, nothing in, the Medicare statute, shall be construed to authorize any federal officer or employee to exercise any supervision or control over the practice of medicine. 42 U.S.C. Section 263-A2I, 1. HHS, may not establish any regulation, standard, or requirement which has the effect of exercising supervision or control over the practice of medicine, 21 U.S.C. Section 823G, 2HI, nothing in such regulations or practice guidelines may authorize any federal official or employee to exercise supervision or control over the practice of medicine or the manner in which medical services are provided. Congress's long-standing and express prohibition on federal interference with state authority to regulate the medical professions is grounded in the UN controversial notion that it is the states that are the laboratories of inventive social and economic experiments in our dual sovereignty system of government. New State Ice Company v. Liebman, 285 U.S. 262, 311, 1932, Brandeis, J., dissenting, it is one of the happy incidents of the federal system that a single courageous state may, if its citizens choose, serve as a laboratory, and try novel social and economic experiments without risk to the rest of the country. Permitting state heterogeneity in medical practice bolsters medical innovation and benefits public health. Gregory, 501 U.S. at 458, explaining that the very purpose of the clear statement rule is to preserve a federalist structure of joint sovereigns, that will be more sensitive to the diverse needs of a heterogeneous society and that increases opportunity for citizen involvement in democratic processes, and, allows for more innovation and experimentation in government. Medical innovation is necessarily wrought from medical practitioners' discretion to deploy their specialized training and expertise to pioneer new treatment approaches that may improve patients' well-being. This is likely why there is not a single federal statute that indicates that Congress intended to permit a federal law enforcement agency to criminalize good faith yet mistaken attempts to revolutionize medical practice. United States v. Lopez, 514 U.S. 549, 583, 1995, Kennedy, J., Concur Ring, cautioning against foreclosing, the states from experimenting in an area to which states lay claim by right of history and expertise. At Costrix.com. D. Eliminating the mens rea requirement from 841A, 1. Stifles innovation, harms patients, and compromises practitioners' ethical integrity. In the absence of a mens rea requirement, the national standards of practice used in Section 841A, 1. Prosecutions to determine the usual course of professional practice is a dangerous precedent for criminal liability. Standard of care inquiries in civil matters evaluate the reasonableness of practitioner treatment decisions and measure prevailing customs, with tolerance for respectable minority approaches, including innovative medical practices. 
Sandra H. Johnson, Customary Standards of Care, 43 Hastings Center Rep. 6 9-10, 2013. In civil matters, liability does not implicate more than reputational and pecuniary interests. On the other hand, using one component of a civil standard to determine criminal liability will further fuel practitioners' reasonable fears of the kinds of legal scrutiny that can end not only practitioners' careers but deprive them of basic liberties. Denine and Dubois. In self-interest, practitioners are incentivized to avoid innovation and the care of patients with unique or complex needs. Instead of comporting with the ethical duties to maximize their patients' well-being, practitioners over-comply with perceived legal norms to avoid any possible legal entanglement at those patients' expense. Id, demean, definitions matter. The fear of criminal scrutiny, including the deter-rent effect of investigations alone, motivates practitioners to avoid prescribing controlled substances as well as the care of the patients who might benefit from them. Sandra H. Johnson, Regulating Physician Behavior, Taking Doctors' Bad Law Claims Seriously, 53 St. Louis U. LJ 973, 2009, see also Kara L. Sedney et al., the DEA would come in and destroy you, a qualitative study of fear and unintended consequences emerging from restrictive opioid prescribing policies in West Virginia, October 25, 2021, https colon slash article slash rs9915311 v1. Conducting qualitative interviews with prescribers who repeatedly identify the fear of the DEA as motivating patient avoidance. According to Michael Barnes, DOJ raids and searches interrupt the delivery of health care, put patients' lives at risk, and unjustly destroy careers and livelihoods. They also create confusion and fear among professionals serving or considering serving similar patient populations. A reluctance to practice and prescribe controlled medications when medically necessary is especially troublesome given rising rates of suicide, the availability of increasingly lethal black market alternatives, and in the case of OOD, the federal objective of increasing, rather than decreasing, prescribing. Michael C. Barnes, A More Sensible Surge, Ending DOJ's Indiscriminate Raids of Healthcare Providers, 8-Leg. And Policy Brief 7, 21, 2019. See brief of Amikai Curie Professor of Health Law and Policy in support of Petitioner D.R. Shulu Ruan v. United States of America Case No. 20-1410, in the Supreme Court of the United States, 14. e. The conduct of DEA's peculiar court system needs serious judicial review. The court system of the Drug Enforcement Agency, DEA, has slipped through both judicial review and congressional oversight, and operates outside the federal rules of civil and criminal procedures not bounded by Giglio, and in contempt and violation of those protections of the Constitution of the United States of America. This administrative court acts in the capacity as both criminal and civil court. The judges of this peculiar court system make their own decision and rules which permits DEA agents, and diversion investigators to act as rogues to which no federal or constitutional protection are they bound to respect or abide by. Associate Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch wrote April 20, 2020, Ramos v. Louisiana. Imagine a constitution that allowed a jury trial to mean nothing but a single-person rubber-stamping convictions without hearing any evidence but simultaneously insisting that the lone juror come from a specific judicial district previously ascertained by law, and if that's not enough, imagine a constitution that included the same hollow guarantee twice, not only in the Sixth Amendment but also in Article 3.8 No 
The text and structure of the Constitution clearly suggest that the term trial by an impartial jury carried with it some meaning about the content and requirements of a jury trial. The officers of this peculiar court system, the mission is not to seek out the truth but to promote injustice by eliminating the truth supporting junk science and unscientific bias. Thus this DEA court system has allowed this federal agency to gain powers over the entire field of medicine, healthcare science, and permitted the agency to redefine medical procedures medical science. Red flag. G. Red flags. In recent enforcement actions it has filed across the country, accusing pharmacists and pharmacies of unlawfully dispensing medicines, the U.S. Department of Justice, DOJ, has aggressively attempted to sidestep Section 1306.04's knowledge requirement. Citing pharmacists' corresponding responsibility, DOJ has argued that pharmacists are liable for filling prescriptions that allegedly present so-called red flags factors that do not necessarily bear on a prescription's facial validity but that, in DOJ's opinion, suggest the prescriber may have written it for an illegitimate purpose. Under DOJ's theory, the presence of one or more red flags not only proves that a prescription is illegitimate but that a pharmacist who fills it must be doing so knowingly. See Amicus Curie Brief National Association Chain Drug Stores, U.S. Supreme Court Case No. 20-1410, Ruan v. United States of America. The red flags advanced by DOJ include patients seeking to fill, and EU prescriptions for controlled substances a patient has never received before, Two certain combinations of prescribed drugs, three providing physician-ordered refills when one to three days of supply remained, four, late filing of prescriptions, five dispensing the same medications for the same patients over long periods of time, six prescriptions for doses above 90, morphine milligram equivalent slash day, seven, and prescriptions for more than one immediate release opioid, sufficiently close in time that the supplies would have overlapped. Eight. Even though in many circumstances these supposed red flags have legitimate explanations, medical or otherwise, DOJ has gone so far as to argue that the presence of one or more of these elements is near-conclusive, evidence of a prescription's invalidity. 9. According to DOJ, when faced with a prescription presenting one or more red flags, a pharmacist must identify each issue, take steps to resolve it, and document in writing how it was resolved no matter how many times the same patient has presented the prescription. Until and unless each red flag is resolved, DOJ says, a pharmacist must second-guess the prescription's appropriateness, override the prescriber's medical judgment, and refuse to fill it, or else face the threat of liability. There are many problems with DOJ's red flags theory. It has no basis in the CSA or its implementing regulations, or even in the DEA's pharmacist's manual. It imprudently dismisses the individualized, case-by-case approach that pharmacists take when filling prescriptions in favor of a categorical approach to culpability. 10. And it traps pharmacists in an untenable position, either face liability under the CSA for filling a facially valid prescription that raises a red flag, or face state-based professional liability, 11, and even civil suits, 12, for refusing to fill such a prescription. But the critical point here is that Section 1306.04 provides a protection for pharmacists that the court should not inadvertently eliminate. A pharmacist may only be held liable if the pharmacist knowingly fills a purported prescription. In other words, unless a pharmacist subjectively knows that a facially legitimate prescription has been prescribed for illegitimate reasons, the pharmacist should not face potential liability for dispensing medication based on that prescription. 
A strict adherence to this knowledge element is critical to ensuring that pharmacists acting in good faith are not punished for filling facially valid prescriptions written by licensed and registered prescribers, punishment that, if rendered, would chill other pharmacists from performing their duties. In addressing the related issues raised in these cases, the court should be careful not to undermine this important safeguard. Helen Burrell R.N. Underscore. 2. Compel. Pilcro 79. United States v. Ridley's Family Markets Incorporated, Number 1 colon 20 CV 00173 TSJCB, D. Utah December 4, 2020, ECF Number 2. 3C, for example, ID. Pilcro Pilcro 68-72. 4 Compel. Pilcro 67, United States v. Schaffer Pharmacy, Number 3 colon 21 CV 00022 JZ, ND Ohio January 6, 2021, ECF number 1. 5C, for example, Compel. Pilcro 72, United States v. Howen, number 1 colon 21 CV 0106 Dab Sab, ED California January 26, 2021, ECF number 1. 6 Compel. Pilcro 66, United States v. We Care Pharmacy, LLC, Number 8 colon 21 CV 00188 MSS EAP, MD Florida January 26, 2021, ECF Number 1. 7 Compel. Pilcro 75, United States v. Chips Discount Drugs Incorporated, No. 220 CV 00010 LGWBWC, SD Georgia February 12, 2020, ECF Number 1. 8 Compel. Pilcro 361. United States v. Walmart Incorporated, Number 1 colon 20 CV 01744 CFC, D. Dell. December 22, 2020, ECF Number 1. 9 Mem. In up and a def smo. To dismiss at 5, emphasis added, 8, United States v. Ridley's Family Markets Incorporated, Number 1 colon 20 CV 00173 TSJCB, D. Utah March 8, 2021. ECF number 31. 10C Dispensing Controlled Substances for the Treatment of Pain, 71 Fed. Reg. 52716, 52720, September 6, 2006, noting that each case must be evaluated based on its own merits in view of the totality of circumstances. 11C, for example, Wisconsin Pharmacy Examining BD, Administrative Warning, Division of Legal Services and Compliance Case Number 17 PHM 095, December 6, 2018. 12C, for example, First Amended Compel. Pilcro 2, Fulag v. CVS Pharmacy Incorporated, Number 1 colon 20 CV 00337 West LDA, DRI August 26, 2020, ECF Number 6, Challenging Corporate-Wide Discriminatory Practices in Refusing to Fill, Without a Legitimate Basis, Valid and legal prescriptions for opioid medication, Reserve V. Walmart Stores E, LP, Number 319 CV 27 CRS, 2019 WL 5597302, at 3, WDKY. October 30, 2019, defamation suit by physician asserting that the failure to fill his patient's prescriptions necessarily imputed illegal conduct because pharmacists are required to fill prescriptions unless the pharmacist has reason to know of some irregularity. August 2020, Scott Thomas, Low Hanging Fruit. For now, you are within. 
UAirWithinTheNorms.com, Wynton Marsalis Concerto for Trumpet and Two Oboes, 1984. The Norms